We're in the book of Galatians, uh, and I try to do a chapter a night, and I do it verse by verse, line by line, uh, executing. I, and there's topical teaching, and 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 then there's uh, this style of teaching, expository, which is line by line. And sometimes uh, in topical teaching, you some things can kind of be taken out of out of uh, character or not what they're what they're meant. But when you do it expository, it is it just straight line for line, and it's it's a good way to learn the word of God. We're in Galatians chapter four, and Galatians uh, uh, is a book about uh, grace and and the and just living in freedom. And how many know that we need grace? How many are thankful for amazing grace? All right, uh, I am. If you're not, uh, and you should be, because uh, Jesus died on a cross for your sins, and that gives us grace. And uh, at, we ended on uh, chapter three two weeks ago because last week we had. VBS and there was a hundred kids up here last week dancing and 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 doing all kinds of things and going to stations and it was a great week uh, but we ended on uh, Galatians chapter three and Paul was telling us uh, that the law uh, the, or the Ten Commandments remember God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai when he brought them down um, they turned those Ten Commandments into six hundred and thirteen laws to follow and that just like human beings to overcomplicate things and make it make it near impossible and and they're in Jewish tradition they had 613 laws they had to abide by that's a lot uh, little things they had to do I don't want to get into all of them there's quite a few of them um, and he in chapter 3 he talks about the Ten Commandments they were given to be our schoolmaster or our tutor uh, how many have ever had a had to have a tutor in your life and somebody to kind of help. <laughs> Jody's back there. It was me, <laughs> uh, so, you know, and needed a little bit of help uh, learning. And and Paul uses a great example of the law was our schoolmaster. It taught us. It showed us uh, how to live, and that uh, no matter what we would do, we'll never measure up to the law. The law can kind of be an example of that. Would be uh, when you when you look in a mirror. The older I get, the, more, the less I like to look in a mirror. Anybody say amen to that? Uh, because I've learned that flaws are starting to show in my body. Not getting any younger. Don't look at me pious. None of you are getting any younger either. Uh, but as you, as you get older, a little, little less hair, right? A few more little, little sunspots and things like that. And, and as we look in the mirror. But when we look at our life, it's like looking into a mirror. When we compare it to the law. There's imperfection, no matter what. And, the, and Paul would even say this in chapter 3, which is, I was telling Jody back there that uh, Galatians chapter 3 really challenged me. It, it really did. Uh, it's just a lot to take in. And chapter 4 is, is, is a little bit better, but, but not much better. But there's, there's some depth to this. But the law was designed, basically, the Ten Commandments were designed to point us to Jesus. That's that's what it's a schoolmaster that taught us. Hey, you need Jesus because you can't you can't measure up to the Ten Commandments because the Scripture and and Paul would say this in, in Galatians chapter three that if you've broke one of the laws or one of the Ten Commandments, you've broke all of them. One's not greater than the other; they're 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 equal. So if you if you have murdered someone, then you've committed all of them. Or Jesus and I, I think I used this example last week. When Jesus said, if you've thought uh, of a woman or you've lusted after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. 
Not my words, Jesus' words. And so if you, and so those are standards that we can never meet up. But that's what the law's purpose was, to show us that we needed a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. How many are thankful for, for Jesus? All right. So if you're, if you're taking notes, um, this first section here in Galatians chapter 4 talks about sons and heirs or sons and daughters and being heirs of the king. Um, chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Uh, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Uh, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So uh, to break this down, just to kind of give you a little, little, little reference here. Paul is uh, a little backstory for those of you who are just jumping in. I don't want to throw you in the deep end of the pool and you'd be like, man, this just went really deep. Uh, he's talking to the Galatians and the Galatians, uh, he, he's writing them a letter. He's already ministered there. And when he leaves, this happens to Paul quite a bit. There are these Jewish Christians who follow behind him and they come back and they preach a different gospel. They're preaching Jesus Christ. They're like, yeah, you're saved by grace, but if you really want to be saved, you're going to follow these Jewish traditions. You're going to do these things. You're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to eat certain ways. You're going to have to do. And so they're they're laying. And so it's a little bit. So these and and the people in Galatia are actually most of them are Gentiles. So when they're hearing these these lessons, you know, Gentiles not being Jewish and being raised Jewish. And so for them, they're looking at all these rules and regulations going, what does this have to do with me? And what does this have to do with the grace of Jesus? Because Paul had, had already told them that it didn't matter. So it's like someone, he, he says this, it's like someone being born into a wealthy family. Um, how many wish that you were born into a wealthy family? Do you know what? You were born because of Jesus Christ and, and to, the, to the God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. So you, you, you are when you're born again. Uh, but when, when imagine someone being born into a wealthy family when they're five years old. Um, they're not free to just write checks, right? They're not free to have, have a debit card. They're not free to just spend the family money. Why? Anybody want to give your kids, your, your five-year-old, your debit card? No, I didn't think so. Uh, I don't even want to give my 16-year-old my debit card. Uh, <laughs> it's dangerous, right? Uh, but... When they're young, they do not allow them to write checks. They do not allow them to use credit cards. They do not allow them to take money and invest money. Why? Because they are subject to their parents and maybe, you know, if they're from a rich family, maybe, maybe to their nannies or whoever. But they're under restriction. And that's what Paul's making uh, an argument here about the, the law here. He's saying we're, we were under restriction. Uh, same goes for God's people. Before we were brought into sonship through Jesus Christ, when we, when we asked Jesus, we first believed uh, for the Lord to come into our heart and make him our Lord and Savior, that we were adopted. We were grafted in because of Jesus, okay? Uh, because of our sonship through Jesus Christ, we were, uh, we were kept under a tutor or a nanny or a parent-in-law. So before we knew Jesus, the law was our tutor and was pointing us to Jesus, okay? All right, so same go. Uh, so God would send his son, and just to give you a little bit of theology here, whose blood would flow from the cross of Calvary and fulfill the law. Jesus said on the cross, it is, it is, 
what did he finish? Yeah, the plan of salvation. Here it is. He completed. So the law pointed mankind to Jesus Christ. And that's what its purpose is. I even talked about that a little bit. Someone who's hard-hearted, maybe towards God, the way to get them to understand that they need a Savior is to let them see a reflection of themselves in the law. Because they're hard-hearted. But to speak to someone who maybe is a little bit soft and maybe God's speaking to them, you, you could speak to them or witness to them through grace. I don't know. That's pretty revealing to me. Like if I'm, if I'm ministering to people and I see somebody who's maybe a little hard-hearted, there's two ways that I could do this. I could, I could beat them with the law, right, or I could show them grace. And I, I think both work, and we both need them at times, right? How many are a little bit stubborn sometimes? All right, nobody raised their hands. You guys are just saints in this house. Uh, But God would send his son, and Jesus would fulfill the law. Uh, Thus, the tutor or the law was temporary in nature to the point as to Jesus Christ. So once Jesus came and he fulfilled what his father wanted him to do, guess what? We have sonship through Jesus Christ. All right, verse 3 says this. In the same way we also, when we were children... We're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The King James Version actually says the elements of the world, which refers to the law here, okay? I'm talking about the elementary principles of the, of the world. And I, I saw something um, the other day when I was coming home from Bloomington and up on one of the bridges coming south on 37. Uh, it said, um, oh, I'm trying to remember what it said. Something about society, uh, basically abolish society. And I thought, that's so stupid. Like abolish society. How many know that we need laws and we need a society and rules to exist? How many, think about this, how many anarchist societies have existed? Right, where we're all free and could do whatever we want. They just don't thrive because guess what? I'm selfish and you're selfish by nature. And because you have it, doesn't mean it's yours. It means I want it, so I'm going to take it. That's, that's, and I thought, but we all need that. No society can exist without laws. Not an orderly society. Uh, that They govern us, right? You know why we have laws? So I'll treat you right, and you'll treat me right. Right? That's, that's why we have laws. That's, that's the, the, the backbone to our society. Uh, we live in a society by laws that govern us. So that we could treat each other right. The issue with the law is it tells us what to do, but it fails to give us the power to do it. Right? So, so take that in context. Think of the, the big picture here. I know it's against the law to, to kill somebody. I know it's wrong, but it doesn't. I have to make the conscious decision not to go kill somebody, right? Right? That, that's, so, so the law, the issue with the law is it tells us what to do. Same thing, Ten Commandments. It tells us what to do. But I, as a person, fail because sometimes I just make mistakes. Now, I don't, like, go kill somebody. And I'm not quite that bad. But guess what? Maybe I told a lie. Right? Or maybe, maybe I thought something impure in my mind. Verse 4 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, thank goodness for the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law. So here's Jesus. So the law points us to Jesus. It's the tutor pointing us to Jesus, and then Jesus comes. In the fullness of time, at just the right time, Jesus shows up, and he came, and he, he purchased us who are under the law. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, for you were bought with a price. Do you know you were bought with a price? Jesus, that price was Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That should have been you, and that should have been me. He bore our pains. He bore our sorrows. That's why it's called grace. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. Because Jesus paid the price for your sins and my sins, knowing that we live under the law and that there was no way that, in, you know, Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So there's no way that I'm ever going to hold up to the law, the Ten Commandments. And there's no way that you're going to be able to do it either. But Jesus came and fulfilled fulfilled that need. And, and here's the thing. We, we as people were trying to abide by the law and obey it. And when I'm talking about the law here, I'm not just talking about the uh, American laws or the, the, you know, the laws that we, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. That's where, that's where I'm going back to. Uh, we were indeed powerless. Anybody ever felt powerless? Um, maybe when someone else is driving. So my daughter's 16. And when she drives, I know how to drive. I've been driving a long time. So when she gets behind the wheel, and I'm sitting over there. There's a lot of trust. I'm having some trust issues as a dad. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, slow down, slow down, slow down. Hit the brake, hit the brake, hit the brake. Okay, too hard. <laughs> and, but but uh, that's, that's kind of like, like, like how we were. we're. We were just powerless. Anybody ever been? I, and I'm, I don't think I've ever told this story here, but has anyone... I was on an airplane once that had to make an emergency landing. Scariest moment of my life. Never felt so powerless in all my life. You know why? Because my life depended on whatever that captain was doing. I just sit there and just prayed like I never prayed before. And, and that's, that's, that's how we were. But look at this. I like this. The next part of that verse says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, or, or you know, sons and daughters. The Greek word for adoption here, and I'm not a Greek. Uh, I wish I, I wish I was an expert in Greek. So I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. Heotheosia, okay? Whew, man, that's a mouthful. You guys say that with me. Heotheosia. Oh, good job. All right, uh, you you did as good as I did. All right. And the first part of that verse, heois or huois, means meaning son, and thesis meaning uh, possession. Or, or position. It literally means taking position of the son. Adoption. When we talk about adoption, when, we, when someone adopts someone, guess what? They become part of the family. You are in, right? Once those papers are signed and legally stamped, guess what? You take on my name or you take on that person's name. And, and that's a beautiful thing. But the son of God took our position on the cross. Look at this. The son of God took our position on the cross. I talked about this a minute ago of Calvary in order that we might in turn take the position as the sons and daughters of God. Man, that's that's deep or in the as in the words of the 60s, that's heavy, right? That's heavy, man, right? Some of you are like I'm not that old. I I've just heard people say that. But anyways, Jesus did this. He told Nicodemus, "You must be born again." 
right? You remember that story? And he told him, and, and adoption is not the means of entry into the kingdom of God. But let's look at this. I want to show you something. We enter by being born again. We enter by being born again. What does that mean? Um, that means that we are made new. Putting away the old man, putting away the old life, and we're made new, okay? Uh, rather, adoption here in, in biblical terms speaks of privilege and standing with God's family. So um, adoption uh, into the kingdom, we, we, we enter by, be, by being born again. Rather, adoption speaks of privilege and standing with God's family. The moment we were born again, we were placed in an adopted state as heirs, as the sons of God. So uh, I know this is kind of, hang with me just a moment, hang with me just a moment. Uh, this is kind of deep. We think of adoption in terms of adopting a baby or a child, right? The way we understand adoption uh, in our society. And, 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 and that's, but in a biblical concept of adoption, biblical adoption refers to a full-grown adult. It's different. Anybody ever adopt, uh, you know, uh, hear of anybody ever adopting a full-grown adult? No, we, we think that's kind of strange, right? Most of us be like, well, they're already an adult, so what's the point at this, at this point? But, okay, so imagine this. Um, I'll give you an example. Imagine this, that Elon Musk, everyone know who Elon Musk is? No? Okay. He's a really rich guy, okay? He, 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 he owns Tesla, and he's just, uh, SpaceX, is that the other one? And he's got all kinds of things going on. But imagine Musk is about to retire and, and for my example's sake, I believe he has kids, but for my example's sake, he doesn't have kids, okay? Uh, and he's about to retire, and he finds a Harvard graduate that, that says, hey, would you just let me adopt you? Um, and you'll be placed on the board at Tesla, and you'll get to use the family vacation homes in Hawaii and Tahiti and Europe and all over the world. And, and you'll get a salary of $10 million per year and a private jet and yacht. And everyone's like, hey, sign me up. I'll be Elon Musk's son, right? Um, and that moment that we were born again, we were given the privilege, not with Elon Musk, but with God the Father because of our position as a son and daughter. Man, and I don't know about you, but that excites me because what's great about that is that gives me access to the goodness of God in my life. Being adopted by Elon Musk would bring some cool things, right? May bring a lot of trouble things too. But if I'm adopted or if I'm grafted in by Jesus Christ, guess what? I get to share in the benefits of the goodness of God. How many want the goodness of God in your life? All right, good. Uh, many say, hey, I haven't been a believer long. And, and maybe you haven't been a believer long. Maybe you've been a believer for six months or under three years and and a lot of people say this, I, I'm a young Christian, so I can't get involved in intercessory prayer or I can't get involved in, in, in certain ministries. And the, the truth of that is, that is dead wrong thinking. You can. It's, it's just wrong. Um, when you believe, when you believe you were adopted as a son and daughter, not, not a, a mature one. You, you come into to this and God's like, I got all these benefits. Here they are. You, you get them. And, and, and honestly, we're blessed. You, you, are, you have the right to be used or blessed by God as you name whatever famous preacher you want. Do you know that you have the same standing with God as T.D. Jakes or, or, you know, Franklin Graham? I'm like, well, I don't feel like I do. God loves you just as much as he loves them. It's the truth. It's the truth. You 
are grafted in too. So just because I'm a son or daughter of the king does not make me as an, uh, as an equal to the son of God. Not, we need to understand that. The son of God is superior to us now. Because of him, we're, we're grafted. Uh, he was the only begotten, is what scripture tells us. Right, He was the only begotten son. There may be different sons and daughters. We may be, uh, because of Jesus, through sonship, we are the sons and daughters of, of the king, but he is the begotten son, and it's through him that I even have the ability to approach the throne of glory. If you look at Hebrews 14, 6, it talks about that. It's because of him I have that, I have that ability. Look, this verse 6 says this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. Crying, Abba, Father. Everyone say, Abba, Father. Uh, we were adopted or grafted in by the Son, Jesus Christ, by allowing him in our hearts. And that's the reason that I can hold my hands up to heaven and call out and say, Abba, Father. What does that mean? The Hebrew word, Abba, it can be translated like this. Daddy, Daddy. I love you. You know what? It's, it reminds me of my, my son and, you know, when my kids were little. But if my kids say, hey, daddy, that catches my attention. When they say, hey, dad, I know. But when they, when they say, hey, daddy, that means they're looking at me in a different. And we have the same ability to look at God and say, hey, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, I'm hurting right now. I, I need you to just pick me up and hold me. And I believe that. I, you know, if my kids came to me and they, they say, daddy, I, they've got my attention. I'll say, hey, what's the need? What's the concern? I believe that when we say, hey, Abba, Father, he looks at us, oh, what's, what's the need and what's the concern? How can I help you? I, I love that. I love that. So verse 7 says this, so you are no longer a slave but a son. How many know there's a difference between a slave and a son or a daughter? There's a difference. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're talking about being an heir, H-E-I-R, not an A-I-R, Okay. We're not just heir, we're, we're heirs, we, we, we are grafted in. Just because we are sons and no longer slaves and can cry, Abba, Father, does not mean that we can give God orders when we pray. How many times do we pray, Lord, I'm your son, and I'm going to tell you, this is my wish list, this is what I want. Ba, 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 will you do this, 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 thanks God, right? God's still sovereign, Right? Right? All right, you guys with me? Uh, and prayer is the Spirit of God. You should write this down. Prayer is the Spirit of God working in us and through us in order to bring us into harmony with the perfect purposes of the Father. Did you catch that? I'll, I'll say it again if you're writing it down. Prayer is the Spirit of God working in us and through us in order to bring us into harmony with the perfect purpose of the the Father. How many want to father? Uh, how many want to follow God's will? Say, God, have your will and way in my life. Not, not what I want. Not just always what. It's okay to tell God your needs. He wants to hear you. It's a, it's a two-way street. But sometimes you just need to be quiet and let God speak back to you. I don't know about you. I've been guilty of that. I've given God my big long list of things that I want Him to do. Um, but the truth of the matter is in prayer, even though I'm a, I am, I am, a, I'm in the sonship of, because of Christ does not give me the ability to say, Hey God, do this, 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 because he's sovereign. I'm not, that's it. So prayer is the spirit of Jesus in me crying, Abba, 
not for manipulation, but for unification. What, what, am I, what am I saying there? Unification of what? Unification with God's purpose. Me and God aligning, saying, God, I'm aligning with what you're doing. It's like when you exit or when you're coming off an exit, you are aligning to what the, the road is doing, right? And we're saying, hey, God, I am, I am getting on board with what you're doing. How many want to be unified with what God is doing? Amen. So the next portion of this scripture is Paul's concern for the Galatians. And, and I was telling Jody before church, uh, Galatians chapter 3, I felt like just kind of punched me between the eyes. Galatians chapter 4, I feel like it's punched. I want to get to Galatians chapter 5 because it's, it, he kind of br- starts bringing all this in together. And I wanted to try to get there tonight. I don't think I'm going to be able to get there tonight. But uh, I wanted to get there because I, this, it's just a little bit easier to understand are you guys with me and 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 so hopefully you're getting this uh verse eight says this and and paul begins to show concern here for the galatians uh verse eight says formerly when you did not know god you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods so what's he talking about there paul is talking about to the galatians and he's talking to us saying before you were saved you serve those which were not God. So um, the crazy thing is people do some crazy things, right? Uh, think about some of the, the religions in the world. I mean, like if you, if you look, if you've studied history, some people sacrifice their kids to please gods. Some people uh, do, do crazy things to please their gods. So Paul here, remember, he's talking to Gentiles here. He's talking to the Gentiles, and he's making a point here, and I, I think this is, is great. Some sacrifice, uh, or some people have allowed their their jobs and their success to be their god. If you put your career before your relationship with God, you've allowed that to be your god. God's look like your idol, or you've put that in front of God. Um, some have devoted their time and and given up uh, time with their family in an effort to be successful. Right. It happens all the time. People are sometimes are career dr- driven, and they'll sacrifice their marriage and they'll sacrifice their families just to push, 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 and they'll sacrifice their relationship with God because it's not a priority. And and so he's he's bringing out a point here. The point here that Paul's bringing out is Jews and Gentiles both were guilty of following rules. The Jewish people they had their rules, rituals. You had to go to this festival. You had to pray. You couldn't eat these things. You had to do this. Um, but the Gentiles, they had different rules, but they still had rules. Rules are rules, right, whether it's one way or the other. And, and these rules and regulations, Paul is saying this. Remember, what he's, what he's doing here in Galatians, he's trying to simplify the gospel. That's why I want to get to chapter 5 because he brings it down. And, and, I mean, chapter 5, verse 14, he says, hey, you can, you, he, he basically quotes, quotes Jesus, said, hey, you can hang all the law on these things, and, and this one word that you can describe, the whole law, is, and is love. Is love. I, that's why I want to get there so bad, because it, 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 really, it really brings us all together. But Paul's talking about this. He's saying, hey, all you Gentiles, you were being influenced by, by rules and regulations before you knew Christ. You did these things to please whatever uh, gods you you may have mutilated yourself, or you followed these rules, or you, you went to, to this event and these things, and, and, and here you are. You're saved by grace now. You've been preached to. 
and many have changed your life. And now you're listening to these legalistic Jewish Christians that are coming in behind you saying, hey, you need to do this, 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 this. Verse 9 says this. But now that you have come to know God, how many are happy that you come to know God? Or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? He's saying all those rules and regulations, they're elementary. I think he was Sherlock Holmes, elementary, right? And, and he's saying they're elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more. He's saying, hey, you're going back to these rituals. You're just falling back. Remember, you're a son, and now you're allowing these things, these rules and regulations and rituals to rule you, and you're a slave to those things. What are you doing? He's just calling them out. Uh, uh, he, he says this in verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. They're looking at the calendar. They're going, I need to be at this festival. I need to do this, and I need to do that. Verse 11, and he says this. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So he's been preaching to them, and he's been praying for them, and he's been loving on them. And he's just like, man, did I just do all of this ministering to you guys all in vain? Because you guys, you're just going back to the old way. Um, he's saying this, Galatians, what are you doing? You're burning incense. You're, you're sprinkling holy water. You're lighting candles. You're repeating prayers over and over again. And listen, some of those things are not bad, but Paul's just saying this, hey, you've gone back to rituals. He's telling the Galatians, you've gone back to rituals, but here's the thing. Jesus set you free from all that, but here you are going back. And, and the, there is something within us, each and every one of us, that wants to gravitate towards laws and rituals and legalism, paganism, and all that stuff. But can I tell you this, that Jesus Christ came to set us free from those things, set us free from those things. And a lot of us say this, I'll be more holy if I can chant prayers. Right? And some of you know, some of you are thinking right now, I know some religions that chant prayers, right? And just because we chant prayers, does that make us closer to God? Right? Uh, uh, and some of you, are, you say, hey, I'll be more holy if I can chant prayers or, or hear the swishing of robes. Or, and those are great things, and they're okay, but you know what? There's a better way. And Paul's telling us that. He's telling Galatians that. You don't need those things. He's saying this. Be totally free in your relationship with God. Simplify it. Simplify. That's why I like. That's why I want to jump to chapter five because he simplifies it really. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. It's, it's really. It's simplified. So be totally free in your relationship with God. Just enjoy the Lord. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a, and the reason I wrote that in there. It's a relationship with Jesus. Is oftentimes we think of Christianity as a religion, but. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're doing it right, it's not about what laws I keep. It's not about what rituals I keep. doesn't mean I'm better because I come on Wednesday night and the heathens that come on Sunday don't come on Wednesday night. It makes me a better person, right? That's not, that's not what he's saying. But, but I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So look at this, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, uh, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. So what he's saying here is I'm not, listen, my Gentile friends, 
Remember, Paul was a, a, a Jew's Jew. He was, he was a Pharisee's Pharisee, what, what, what they say about what he says about himself. And he says this, I'm not eating kosher food. I like a good bacon burger. How many like a good bacon cheeseburger? Amen. And he says, I like to eat that. I, I'm not following the rules and the rituals of Judaism. I, I, I know them all. I know them all. No one knows them better than me. And he's saying this, you guys are Gentiles. Stop trying to live like that. I, I'm living like you. He's saying, he's saying that to the Galatians. Look at this. The next portion of that scripture says, you did me no wrong. I was just thinking as I was reading that, I almost misread that. I did get my eyes checked. I got 20-20 vision. I was, I was super shocked. I was, I mean, you know, and the side note, just so you guys, thank you for your prayers. All right. <laughs> Next part of that scripture says, you did me no wrong. Uh, you know it was because of a, a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you first. Verse 14. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. So when I came to you, Paul's saying this, when I first came to you in, in Galatia, I, uh, uh, you received my message that I brought. And here's the deal. When he went there, he was not intentionally going there, but because of where he was in Ephesus, he developed this, this disease uh, over his, many scholars believe, over his eyes. And it was a, kind of like, a, like an, an, an oozing eye. I don't know about you guys, I have a weird eye thing. Like if something gets in my eye, I, I just panic. Anybody, is anybody weird like me? Like if I have to put water in my eye, I'm, I'm a little bit over the, thank you. All right, I'm a little bit over the top. So when I talk about eye stuff, I'm like, mm, a little bit. But, but uh, Paul had gotten an infirmity, and, and um, his infirmity, many scholars believe that it was an illness that was contracted on his way to Galatia, and it affected his eyesight. Um, if you look in Galatians chapter 6, if you want to jump forward, he actually talks about how big that he's writing, and I think it's because he's not seeing good. And I think he's just writing, writing a little bit bigger. So many scholars believe that in Galatians chapter 6 he talks about that. Um, some say his affirmity was from being stoned. Remember he got stoned in Galatia and then they left him for dead outside. Um, some, I mean, that may have had an effect. I mean, you get hit in the head with a rock, you may not be seeing very good for a minute. Um, uh, and some say he was just nearly blind. And I, I don't know really, um, but he did ask God to remove a thorn in his flesh, and many believe that this was the thorn in his flesh. And, and But Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 12, that uh, his weakness demonstrated God's strength. My, my weakness, uh, my struggle that I'm having, it shows just how good God is. Uh, man, what a, what a perspective. When you're going through a hard time, just, just remember that. Remember Paul's perspective there and think that through and be like, you know what, in my weakness... God, your grace is, is sufficient. It, it's strong. Look at this, verse 15. What then has uh, become of your blessedness? For I, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now, that's why many believe that he had some kind of eye issue. I wish you guys would gouge out your eyes and give them to me. It's like, and he says that, that when he went there that he, he, they loved him so much that they would be willing to do that. Obviously, they wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Um, but, but he's just kind of overemphasizing that. And that's why many scholars believe that, that he had some kind of eye issue. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it, uh, I don't know. If you had an eye issue or a, an ailment in your eyes, it would be hard to deal with, right, especially if you're used to seeing all the time. 
if you went blind, many of you would be super sad that you don't get to see your kids or your grandkids or, you know, colors and things like that. I mean, you can remember them, but you don't get to see them. Um, but Paul, he had, a, it, you know, some, some sort of constant issue with his eyes. But Paul says his affirmity didn't prevent the Galatians from taking him in and receiving him. Probably a good thing I wasn't there because I've been like, Paul, your eyes are a little bit weird. And I kind of got an eye thing. So I'm just going to step back and let you, I'm going to let everyone else take care of you. I'll be over here if you need something, you know. Uh, verse 16 says this. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So he's talking about how they took care of him. Now he's, he just shifts it and says, hey, am I now your enemy because I'm speaking the truth? You know, sometimes when we speak the truth, people take it offensively. How many know that we need the truth in our lives? Sometimes, even when it hurts, you know, nobody knows how to preach the truth to me like my wife. She's not here, so I'm going to talk about her tonight. Uh, she can speak the truth to me, and sometimes I don't like to hear the truth from my wife. Some of you know, like to me, and, and oftentimes we don't like to hear the truth from, from certain people. But how many know that we need the truth? And so Paul's saying this, am I now your enemy because I'm showing you that you missed the mark? I'm pointing out sin here. I'm, I'm pointing out, you guys missed it. You just missed it. I've been preaching the grace of Jesus Christ, and you guys want to go back to all this, all these rules and rituals. And this happens to a lot of people that are confronted with the truth. We get mad at the person who is calling us out and who's holding us accountable. Right? We get mad at them because they're right, and we don't want to admit we're wrong. How many like to admit when you're wrong? Yeah, I didn't think we'd have a lot of hands on that. How many, how many like to admit when you're right? All right. Um, a lot of us like to, like to point that out. But, but here's, the, here's what he's saying. Hey, I, have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? And oftentimes when someone tells the truth, people turn on them because, you know what, they're not holding up to what they know they should. When my wife looks at me and says, hey, is that you that left your clothes when you could have thrown it in the dark, dirty clothes basket, but you threw it right there and right next to it? No, that was Novak. Really? Your shirt. He had your shirt on, right? Oh, well, but, you know, and, and oftentimes that's us when people call out the truth, and oftentimes we don't want to deal with it. I tell you what, we could solve a lot of issues in our lives if we would just say, hey, God, let the truth be revealed in me, through me, and so, yeah, that, that's not even in my notes, but that was good, all right, verse 17 says this, they make much of you, but for no good purpose, so uh, the zealously affect you, he's talking about those, those Jewish Christians who are coming in, he said they affect you, but they don't, they don't do well, that's what the King James Version says, and uh, legalist people, rules and rituals, uh, when I'm talking about legalism, I'm just talking about things that um, maybe people or, or churches or religion put on people that, that are necessarily not, not sin, but you have to do these things to, to meet a standard. I'm not talking about the truth here. I'm, I'm, when the Bible is the truth. It is, it is what it is. That's, that's the foundation. That does not change. I'm not talking about the truth. I'm talking about in addition to 
you have to do this, 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 this. That's what would make Martin Luther go up and, and nail the 95 theses on, uh, to the Catholic Church saying, it's not about how much money they pay you. That, that's not how people get to heaven. The just shall live by faith. All right? So legalists appeal uh, to the macho mentality within each of us. They say, hey, come join us. We're really radical. We, we pay the price. We bear the cross. We deal with stuff that only a few can deal with, right? Because we do this. We pray 48 times a day, right? We eat certain things. We live in this standard, which we, we need to have a standard. But listen, it, it's just a little bit over time. We're prone to say, hey, I want to be one of the few. I want to be one of the chosen. I want to be one of these elite people that are that are touching heaven for God, right? And oftentimes that that's our case. Hey, if I can follow these rules and I can follow these uh, rituals and I can do these thing regulations, I'm going to be somehow closer to God. So I'll I you know this happens to us, and this has happened to me. I, I'll submit to stipulations and regulations in order that I can be among the few. But God didn't tell me to, you know. Um, but Paul says this, it's all those things, they're not for good purpose. All these, these, these Jewish Christians that are coming in, all those things that they're telling you to do, they're not for good purpose because Jesus paid the price. Now, that, that's his point. That's what he keeps getting at. Look at this. The next portion of that scripture says, they want to shut you out and they, uh, that you may make much of them. And so these legalist Jewish Christians have one goal in mind for you Galatians. They want to exclude you from the grace in order that by your own works you can support them. You can follow them by, by this. Verse 18 says this. It is always good to be made much for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. Verse 19. My little children for whom I am again in, in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Uh, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. So Paul's just saying this, man, I have prayed for you. I have labored for you. I, you know, I talked about how, how uh, on Sunday how, how a pregnant woman uh, travails. And, and Paul's saying, I, I prayed for you, and I travailed for you, and I, I stuck it out, and I saw you changed. He said, now I'm just perplexed with the decisions that you're making. I, I, am, I am confused by the way that you are acting. And so... Um, to another group of believers, Paul would say this, you have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. That's what he would say in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, 5. And, and oftentimes that's us. We're, we're listening to all these different voices, but we're missing the father's voice. And I wish, I, I want to be like Paul. I want to be able to disperse information. But see the reality of regeneration. I want to see people to uh, be born again. I want to see them grow in grace. See them mature in liberty. I like that. So then he, he kind of ends here. Uh, in the last little portion of this chapter. He, he comes back to Abraham. Abraham being the, the father of faith. And he gives an example of Hagar and Sarah. And how many are, how many are familiar with this Old Testament story? All right. A couple of you uh, are. So he says this. Verse 21. Tell me. You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. 
while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Okay, just to kind of give you give you a little bit of uh, backstory on this if you're not familiar with this. God came to Abraham. His name was Abram. And he spoke to him. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he is, you, matter of fact, Abraham is one of those guys. He has the number one hit single um, for children's church. Father Abraham, that song, right? Had many sons. Many sons had father. Right arm, right? Some of you church people know what I'm talking about. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, but, but, but the Lord came to him and spoke to him. He said, I'm going to make a great nation. And he, and he showed him the stars. And he said, the nation is going to, you're going to have as many sons and daughters as the stars. And he showed him the beach. And he said, like the sands on the beach, you're going to have that many, many children. Well, guess what? Guess how many kids he had? You're not like God. You're going to have a lot of kids. You ain't got any. Um, but uh, he, and in this, God gave him a promise. And he told and, and the, here's the other issue. This isn't God. God knew that Sarah was barren. His wife was barren. And so she couldn't have kids. So, I mean, God's just like, hey, I'm going to do miraculous things. And I, you're, I promise you, you're going to have a kid. And matter of fact, he's pretty old when he gets these, these things. Matter of fact, he doesn't have his promised child until he's 100 years old and his wife is 90. Anybody want to sign up to have a kid at 90? <laughs> Nobody said no. Right? And so, but before that promise came along, Sarah was sitting there and she said, I'm barren. We're not having any kids. God made a promise and she said, let's help God out here. I have a handmaiden. I have, I have a lady. And this is how we're going to do this. This is, must have meant what God wanted for us. You take my, my, my servant, Hagar, and you, you have relations with her and you have a child with her. Well, guess what happened? She got pregnant. Hagar got pregnant, and they had a child. Well, let me tell you something. That was not the promise that God had, had given Abraham. Now, look at this. So in this scripture that we read there, just kind of give you a little bit, a bit of that backstory. To validate his, ar his argument, Paul appealed to Abraham, the father of the Jewish race. So most Jews, if you said, hey, who is Abraham, they will be able to tell you about Abraham. All right? They will tell you. Uh, he says this. Uh, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bring you into a new land. I'm going to give you a new name. He went from Abram to Abraham. I'm going to make you great. And from you will come forth a people of innumerable as the stars in the heavens and the sands on the seashore. Anybody ever counted sands on the seashore? That's hard to say. Sand on the seashore? <laughs> I didn't think so. All right. Uh, Abraham believed God, but at 86 years old, the promise had not been fulfilled yet. And I told you earlier, Sarah, she was 76 at this point. She's just saying, hey, let's be practical here, Abe. I know God spoke to you, but you're 86 and I'm 76. If this is going to happen, we're going to have to step in and, and make something happen. So then she brought Hagar in, and they had relations, and, and she produced a child. How many times has God promised you something? Instead of being patient and waiting on the Lord, you forfeited God's promise and you had an illegitimate promise because you stepped in and you tried to make something happen. Anybody ever did that? I've done that in my spiritual walk. I know God's told me, hey, this and he's promised these things and they're not moving at the speed that I like them to move. So I'm like, hey, God, if I can do this, 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 and then guess what? Once you birth the child and once they're alive, guess what? They're there. 
They aren't going to just disappear. So um, he does this. When, when God gives a promise, there is almost always a time gap between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. Now, I don't know about you. I say this. God, I'm impatient. I'm impatient in my life. If I get aggravated and I have to wait on my burrito in the microwave, that's why I get aggravated when I have to wait at the stoplight because someone does not hit the accelerator fast enough. Right? And I'm impatient, and, and, and I've got to make something happen. And oftentimes we step in, we try to help God out. That's funny, isn't it? It's funny just thinking, oh, I'm going to help you out, God. That's, that's what Sarah, Abraham, we're going to help you out, God. But Abraham agreed with Sarah's plan, and the result of this conception and birth was a, was a baby and the boy's name was Ishmael, Ishmael with Hagar. And when Ishmael was 13 years old, uh, God spoke to Abraham. And God said, hey, I'm finally going to fulfill the promise that I gave you. You messed up, but I'm going to go ahead and fulfill that promise. Because when God makes a promise, he fulfills a promise. Whether we trust him or don't trust him. And so he does this. And, and then Abraham would say this. He says, let Ishmael live. You know, he says that. And so, so God says, Ishmael is not the fulfillment of my promise. It's an illegitimate child. This is not the fulfillment of my promise. He's only your fleshly attempt to help me. That's what, he's, what he says. And as I look back uh, over my life, I see that when I get impatient and I try to help God out, the result has been trouble for me and Ishmael. And because God is so good, the promise still comes because he's so faithful to his word. But the problem is I have a bunch of Ishmaels I have to deal with because I try to hurry things up. And guess what? They don't just disappear. So still to this day, I mean, and you can look at it, I mean, just a few weeks ago and still even this week, uh, there's an ongoing struggle of bloodshed between the children of Ishmael and the children of Israel. Look at the Middle East conflict. I mean, just, just look any point. There's always a struggle. So, too, in my own life, whenever Ishmael is, is born as a result of my own fleshly efforts, strife, strife often happens, anxiety and tension, and they're birthed in my life. And God's like, hey, that's not what I promised for you. We, we push God. We rush God. We help God out. And, and then, and, but, you know, when we do that, before we know it, we have an Ishmael on our hands. And Abraham was a great man. Matter of fact, Scripture calls him he a friend of God. I think that's pretty awesome. And the father of faith. And he was an incredible saint. And had, had a, but, but here's what he had a problem that God recorded as a lesson for each of us today. And this was Abraham's problem. He was impatient. That's the, that's the big lesson right there. He was impatient. It was at least 12 years between the time Abraham was given the promise and the time he went to Hagar. But it could have been as many as 18 years. Some of us think, hey, I've been waiting 18 days. I've been waiting 18 weeks. I've been waiting 18 months. God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you moving things faster than that? But here's what I know. When God makes a promise, he's going he's gonna to fulfill it. Matter of fact, uh, you know, Scripture says that, you know, that God is a man that he cannot lie. So if he says he's going to do something, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen in his timing. But here's the deal. When Abraham 
tried to help God, it was a disaster. Look at this, verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. So this just he's, he's given this a point. He's just saying, hey, just look at this, you know, from this, this perspective. These women are two covenants. These women, talking about Sarah and talking about Hagar. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children of, for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar was born in Mount Sinai. Where did Moses get the Ten Commandments? Mount Sinai, right? He did. So evidently, Hagar was born in Sinai, and, and that's significant to us. It also speaks of the place where the law was given, and that's where the law came down. Look at this, verse 25. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai, uh, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. This is Paul. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. So Hagar illustrates Jerusalem or Judaism, uh, said Paul. But the Jerusalem which is above the heavenly Jerusalem is free. You remember in, I believe it was chapter 2 or chapter 3 of, of Galatians, Paul talks about Abraham. And remember, he's, he's talking about the Jews. And he says, you guys live by the law. But before the law, 400 years before the law, was this guy named Abraham. And he believed in faith. He believed in faith. He didn't have to have the law. So he brings this full circle here. He's coming back to it. Verse 27 says this. Uh, For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So Paul reminds here. He's talking to the Galatians. Okay, He's talking to the Galatians. Remember this. Most of them are Gentiles. And he's saying, according to Isaiah 54, 1, the barren one, the Gentiles would produce more children than the people of promise, the Jews. That's, that's where he's going. So look at this. Verse 28 says this. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So he's talking about the promise. The promised son of Abraham was Isaac, right? You remember the story? Uh, uh, you know, that was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know. So we know, we know that's the lineage there. Uh, we are, we're Isaac, the children of promise. It is a miracle that we are here today, right? Think about this. Ten years ago, ten years ago, think about your life ten years ago. Would you believe that you are where you are right now? should be in jail or, you know, whatever, you know. I, I mean, if you go back 10 years ago, I'm thinking about that. I don't know if I can remember that far back. But when 10 years ago, when I think about this, I would have never pictured that I would be standing here teaching to you about Galatians here in Bedford, Indiana. I didn't even know that place existed. It's crazy, right? You guys did. I didn't. All right. So I, I began to think about that. 10 years ago, and most of us wouldn't think that we'd be sitting here in church called out uh, called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom into the kingdom of light and to God's glorious light. Did you did you did you ever think about that? Maybe you weren't saved ten years ago. Maybe you are now, right? Maybe you were. I don't know. Verse twenty nine says this. But just as the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So what he's saying there um, is. Ishmael, who was 13 years old, 
saw Isaac when he was a toddler, and he began to make fun of him. And how many knows that a mama isn't going to let some other kid make, make fun of their baby? So Sarah saw Ishmael making fun. Same father, two different moms. And what did Sarah do? She said, she got to go. She got to go. Not going to happen, right? So in Abraham's day, it was custom to throw a party when a child was weaned. And yet it was at Isaac's weaning party that Ishmael, his half-brother, began to taunt and, and tease him. And that's what the law does. It taunts and it teases us and it says, you don't add up. You're not good enough. You, you can't keep these rules. You can't keep those regulations. But, you know, the law says this, you're shallow or you're carnal and you're weak. Anybody ever felt guilty because you just feel like you don't add up, you can't be good enough? I felt that way before. You're immature or you're not disciplined. But, here, but here's the thing. Uh, you know, many of us say, hey, I, we got to realize that as the people of God grafted in by Jesus Christ, we are the lineage of Abraham because we believe. Not because we follow the rules and regulations, but because we believe in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Look, this verse 30 says this. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Catch that? The, the woman, the slave woman, the, the law isn't going to inherit the freedom uh, of the uh, uh, inherit with the son of the free woman. So verse 31 says this. So brothers, we are not children of slaves but of the free woman. So the cure for mocking and taunting of the legalizers, the ritualistic, the rules, and the regulators is this. You know how you solve all that? You get rid of the rules. Get rid of the law. That's what Jesus did. Cast it out. Um, and I, I like what I, what, what, what I talked about last week is we are to preach the law to those who are hard-hearted. We are to give grace to those who are soft-hearted, that there's a way to speak to people and to love on people. But once a man has opened his heart, however, the law has done its job. And I, I, how many are thankful for that covenant that God gave to Abraham? How many are thankful that God made a way for us to be grafted into that? How many are thankful that because of Jesus Christ, we have sonship and we are sons and daughters of the king? Let me pray with you. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for um, this word. Lord, it may be uh, a deep word, a, a meaty word, Lord, for maybe a, a younger Christian that hasn't been saved very long. But, God, I pray, Lord, that it has practical application to us. God, it's just a reminder to us, Lord, that when legalism sets in, God, when we think we have to follow a bunch of rules and regulations, and that's not what a relationship with you is about. It's about grace and freedom. God, we don't have grace to sin, but we have grace to be free from sin. God, grace sets us free, and it's because of you and what you did on Calvary. God, I'm grateful for that tonight. So, Lord, this week be with us and go with us. Give us strength. God, help us to walk freely in your grace. God, help us to love others as you 
love you. God, help us to love you, God, with an everlasting love. And, and bring us back together, God, at the next appointed time. Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. You all right? You guys are dismissed.